Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 99th episode of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. We have 99 episodes, but I don't know. There's, I was going to make like a Jay-Z joke, but then I stopped myself because... What kind of joke would that be? I don't understand. I don't know. <laughs> you know he's got 99 problems. We've oh. got 99 episodes. I don't know. I'm tired. I didn't think that one through. Yeah. Whatever. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Uh, today's episode is an interview I did with Carol Weston back in Atlanta. Yeah, that's where I was. Uh, I talked about her book. Actually, last week we talked about books that make us cry because her book made me cry. Yep. Um, it's called Speed of Life. It comes out at the beginning of April and it's getting a lot of buzz. It has actually three different starred reviews already from School Library Journal, Publishers Weekly, and Kirkus. So yeah, that's pretty good. Congrats, Carol. Yeah. Um, but in case you missed our last episode about books that make us cry, uh, Speed of Life is all about a young teenager coming to terms with her mother's death and her father um, being a single parent and beginning to date someone and um, how the teenage daughter kind of deals with that and it's very well it's very good obviously Mm -hmm. um but no it's it's shockingly more emotional than i thought it would be for me for a uh, a middle grade um you know book but it yeah carol was a lot of fun she has done a whole lot of stuff she has children's books called ava and pip if you're familiar with those oh yeah yeah yeah, that's ava or that's that's right. Carol. Sure, it's about Ava and Pip. Um, and so she also, there's a lot of stuff in this book that's um, taken from Carol's own life uh, about being like an advice columnist and uh, all these different things that she actually does. So we had a lot of fun talking about how she stays kind of up with the times, yep. um, you know, with all the problems that teenagers are facing. Um you know, obviously, Carol's not a teenager anymore, but she still is offering advice to them, which I think is really cool. So, um, yeah, I think people will really enjoy this. Carol was a lot of fun, and um, in no matter what age you are, I would recommend reading Speed of Life when it comes out because it's really good and it's really it's a really quick read too. So, people I, I think will enjoy it and be able to get you know get to their next book very quickly, which people right. always like. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, they sure can. Uh, I'll be curious to see if anyone over the weekend responds. Well, this will be out Monday, but as always, we're recording on a Friday. I'll be curious to see if anyone has gotten back to us about the books that make them cry. Yeah. We had a lot of fun up people on Twitter were having some fun with us. We had a good time. All, all the gifts. All the gifts. Books that make us cry. So... All right, uh, that is it for the intro, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by Carol Weston, who is the author of 16 books, including the popular Ava and Pip children's titles. She's been Dear Carol at Girls Life since 1994, offering advice to teenagers for over two decades. She's been on the Today Show, Oprah, and The View, and her books have been published in a dozen languages. Her next novel, Speed of Life, comes out April 4th. 
Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So would you mind getting us started by giving our listeners a little introduction to Speed of Life? Speed of Life was not at all speedy to write. I probably (laughs) spent almost a decade from thinking that I wanted to write this book Mm -hmm. to writing it from four points of view Mm -hmm. to turning it into just Sophia's story. Yeah third person to first person. I mean, it was really, I did a lot of sort of dancing around this book, I think because it was so important to me to get it right. Yeah. And I have to say you did. It's so, so good. (laughs) I don't always say this to everyone, but your book, and we were talking before we started recording, I'm a 30 year old male and I openly admit it to wiping away some tears. It's so, so wonderful. So thank you for writing it. I couldn't be more appreciative. Thank you so much for saying that. (laughs) And it seems, it seems a little biographical. Yeah. What with the whole Dear Kate advice columns and the locations are kind of from where you grew up. So are there other parts of your life that you put into this book? Uh, well, in, indeed, the book is about Sophia, who's a New York City Upper West Side girl. And I don't want to give too much away, but That's basically okay. half the book sort of is set in the city and the other half in the in the suburb of Armagh, which is in Westchester. And those are two places I, have, I, I, I live. Mm-hmm. I live now in New York. But I lived in Spain for a while, and I gave Sophia a... A Spanish grandfather from Segovia because uh, I love Spain and I'm always sort of happy to infuse my books with something that other readers might not know too. I always feel like what can I bring to the party that all the other authors might not be able to bring to their personal party. What what can I bake and put on the table that that's not already you know at the party? And I I speak uh, actually I speak Spanish and French and and poor Italian, but very good French and Spanish. <laughs> and I thought, you know, there's so many kids in this country and parents who speak Spanish. Why don't I have Sophia be absolutely bilingual and comfortable with her bilingualism and, and introduce that a little bit too? I want to say, by the way, when you say you speak Spanish and French and poor Italian, you don't have to, you know, qualify with poor Italian. Anytime, anyone who speaks more than one language, I'm always super <laughs> impressed and blown away. I, I like to jokingly tell people, I have like a passing knowledge of English, so other than that. <laughs> well, that's being very modest, Adam. <laughs> but you know, if you get one language down, it's almost like overlaying the next one. Mm-hmm. And when I visit schools, if I do an immersion school sometimes, yeah. or schools where I just can look out and realize, boy, English is not the first language for right. everybody here, I love to say, I love to suddenly switch to Spanish uh-huh. and say, you know, quien habla español, who yeah. speaks Spanish, and you get a bunch of surprised faces yeah. and, and raised hands. And then I love to tell them, my kids, you are at such an advantage, you already have a key to a whole nother culture. Yeah, and just help bilingual kids realize that they actually have an advantage that they may not remember to look at that way. Yeah, because you're absolutely right. When you're when children are growing up, if English is their second language, sometimes they can be frustrated, and, and there can be times when other kids who speak English will maybe make fun of how they speak and things like that, but teaching them that it is, it's such a strength moving forward in their lives that it's such a powerful tool that they have. I think that's a really wonderful way of of looking at it as a as an author, so I'm really glad that you did that. That's great. Well, thank you. Did you grow up spe- uh, being bilingual, speaking uh, Spanish in the household? N- no, my dad was born in Odessa, Russia, and my mom was born in Wichita Falls, Texas, and they met in New York City. And uh, and but but my parents are both writers, editor yes. sorts. So that made you know we would talk about punctuation at the dinner table uh-huh. and if I said you know my dad would look at me and say I don't know don't you know he didn't want <laughs> yeah. me to have that verbal tick so when you were asking me about um, the uh, the 
you know, the auto, does Speed of Life have an autobiographical component? Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. Not only is one of the characters an advice columnist, and yeah, I've been yeah. Dear Carol Girl's Life since 94, yeah. but Sophia herself is, you know, it's a little bit every girl, but it's probably a lot, Carol Weston, <laughs> because I did lose my beloved dad at 25, and even though I had Sophia lose her mom at 13, I definitely was able to channel all the you know all the heartache and and that you basically you get the big giant hole is in your life Mm -hmm. and you have to figure out how to walk around the hole yeah and then you do but as the advice columnist I know that a lot of kids will write me and say I'm so sad um I'm not over yet my you know grandma died last month well of course you're not over yet yeah or kids will say my best friends you know parents or my best friend had some horrendous crisis and I was like, nice last week, but now it's this week. And you're like, come on, you have to stay yeah. supportive. So I wanted to explore all that. That's And I, I have uh, my best friend growing up when I was nine years old. We actually were in the room and his father had a stroke and passed away. And like it was, I, I reading a book, I was kind of like Whoa. taking back those memories where we didn't realize at the time, but like our parents sent us to grief counseling and we just thought we were going to like a camp or we didn't really wow. know we didn't really comprehend it because you're absolutely right for there be some times where I remember talking to my parents and being like I really wish Kurt would like, kind of cheer up I feel so bad yeah. and they would tell me all the time like well his father passed away yeah. and it was it doesn't matter if it was six months ago a year right. ago those things stay with you and oh my goodness I think it's so important for kids to realize like, you're allowed to feel sad it's, right you should express your emotions so I like I said I was like going through my past while I was reading this like oh my god it's felt very that's extraordinary that's, it was that, a wave of emotions yeah for you and Kurt that's extraordinary yeah and it's, you, really. and it's something that we've all yeah. we don't talk about wow. it much but it has bonded yeah. us I will say that right. um, interesting something that I struck me as really interesting is Kate has her daughter Alexa kind of check on her lingo and things like that for her columns on there, which I was laughing about. Um, do you have questions that come up now and then where you're like, I need to ask a totally, young person about this? Totally, totally. Uh, you know, everybody knows that they're about things like cutting, mm-hmm. but the first time I got a letter on cutting was probably 20 years ago, yeah. and I was like, she's cutting herself. What is that What is that even about? Mm-hmm. And I remember a few years later reading about it in the New York Times, but while I'm often, I feel like I'm kind of at the forefront mm-hmm. of hearing about a problem, and you never know which one's going to get, you know, yeah, become absolutely. more prevalent. But I also do have daughters, now they're grown, but they mm-hmm. were so helpful yeah. when I was writing the Dear Carol column, and, and indeed when I write my books for, for girls and boys, uh, because not only with the lingo, which it's really important to get, yeah. you can't, you know, two <laughs> mistakes in a book and you've lost your right. audience, you know, you can't do that. So, but also just what's, uh, you know, just helping me understand what it feels like to be a kid. So that my kids, they knew that the occupational hazard of being the daughter of, of this right. author was they were going to have to read my columns <laughs> and read my books and do it again and again. But now they're such great editors. Yeah. They're still my editors. Okay. I was going to say now that they're kind of grown up, because I'm, I'm 30, and I like to think that I feel young for 30 until I speak with a teenager, and then I'm like, we're from different planets. And that was a, I was a teenager, you know, just a little over a decade ago. So what, in addition to having your kids who can kind of help you out, but now that they're, they're grown, what kind of research for you like goes into kind of staying up with the times and what's going on? Is it just kind of poking around the Internet? and? Um, no, not so much uh, the Internet. I think sometimes I'll either speak at schools mm-hmm. and then believe me, my eyes are open and I'm kind of <laughs> taking notes. But also I really think that my advice column 
You have no idea. Every day I, I get letters from girls mm-hmm. who either are in crisis or think they're in crisis. Yeah. A lot of times it's sort sometimes, you know, you're saying like, wow, what just happened to you really is probably one of the worst things that will ever happen to you. So let me help you understand that, of course, you're upset. Right. Other times it's, you know, you have three boys you like and you don't know which one to pick. That's not a problem. Why did you write urgent in the subject head? But still, for me, my, you know, I'd like to think that it's clear what the girls are getting from my answers. Sure. But what I'm getting from their questions is I have never not known what it was like to be 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, I was 12. And yeah. then when I married my husband from Columbus, Ohio, his little sister was 12. So my first book, Girl Talk, was really mm-hmm. my attempt to tell her everything I knew and put it all in one book. It was almost yeah. like Dear Sally, comma, you yeah. know? And then that book um, caught on and got translated into lots of languages yeah. and was still in print right. since 85, which is amazing. amazing. But therefore, it even before I got my column, kids were writing me. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it's not overwhelming the the, the the bag of mail, but it's consistent enough that I never, uh, I just never quite got disconnected mm-hmm. from what it feels like. Plus I had daughters, which certainly kept me, you know. Yeah. Okay. So something that struck me as, as fascinating, if someone wants to become a writer, they can work at it and they can, you know, try to get something published and they can have their own manuscript. Same thing for being a musician. You can take a, you can pick up a violin and practice and practice. How does one become an advice columnist for teens? How does that organically happen? Um, well, I guess because I had written Girl Talk, the editor, uh, Karen Bachman, reached out to me and said, would you like to write a column? Neither of us necessarily had the faith to know that her magazine would <laughs> stick around. Sure. Um, so that was good luck. But I guess you're asking how is it that I'm sort of a sensible person? And my dad, who, let's remember, may he rest in peace, but yeah. you know, was such a wonderful, loving father... He always said I had my head screwed on straight because uh-huh. I just was one of these kids who uh, was just kind of grounded. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I wasn't. I got, I got in little trouble. I did. Yeah. I did some some stuff, uh-huh. but I was always pretty grounded. And so maybe some of that's just serendipity. Mm-hmm. And you know, some people don't want to do what I do, but I I, I just always I kept diaries as a kid. I was a reader, but not as much as my best friend Judy who would just like gobble up big books and was a bookworm and I was so not just envious it was really more like in awe I just could not believe that she read such big fat books Mm -hmm. for pleasure when we all had the same amount of homework (laughs) but at night I would like get my little diary out and Mm -hmm. write about my day and what I had for lunch and so I was developing this different skill set without even thinking about the skill set of writing and the skill set of observing my day Mm -hmm. thinking about my day you know thinking about other people And so, speaking of kind of the craft of writing, when you wrote this, and you said it kind of took place over a decade, and it was very much kind of a labor of love, but was this something where you would kind of work on it while you were also still doing the advice column and giving talks to kids? Was this something that you would kind of do, you know, on the weekends and in the evenings, or just what was your writing process like? Uh, Well, you know, uh, my writing, I've been lucky that my... I've always sort of been a writer. I think maybe, as I told you, my mom was a writer. She was the garden editor of House and Garden magazine, and I'd known she always had this yearning to write a novel. So it was like her dream and her nightmare. And then for a while, it was my dream and my nightmare. When I was finally, uh, you know, pushing an age that you haven't seen yet, I thought, wow, I am an advice columnist, and my husband was always listening to me talk at cocktail parties and right. 
fancy New York City where I live and saying, well, I'm an advice columnist and I've written girl talk, but someday I'm going to write a novel. And he would, we would go home and he would go, why don't you like try to do that? So I got some therapy and I took a class at the Y and then I started really trying to, you know, write that novel. It took a few, um, uh, I mean, I have some novels in the drawer, but now the Ava and Pip series that I'm so proud of that Source Books also is the publisher of and the Melanie Martin series that Knopf is the publisher of. That's seven books for kids sort of eight to 12. Right. But I really wanted to write just for a slightly older audience too. So that's why um, Speed of Life was so important to me. I guess all I'm saying is sometimes I work very hard on weekends, but I don't have a, um, you know, I don't actually have sort of a, a nine to five job job so while I'm often teaching or I taught writing at Middlebury College I you know I I do school visits and I do the column but the writing is what it's all about the column is more around the edges the writing is is what what I spend my core time doing and and I need to tell you I because this is as you mentioned this is your first kind of young adult novel and just I'm sorry to gush in front of you but like knocked it out of the park it's so it's so good I was this is one of those sometimes you know you read something and you're like oh I could be a writer I could totally do and then sometimes you read a book like this and I was like it's not a story I could ever tell it's so so good that's so so sweet thank you sorry for like just kind of Oh, over myself well, I think and there is no writer on the planet who's gonna <laughs> who's gonna take a, that's a offense very, at, that's at that's any gushing gush um, away. So thank you. I appreciate aspiring that. Aspiring writers. Yes. You, you said something that I have heard a recent author that I spoke to say something similar. She also lives in New York City and uh, she talks about going to classes at like the YMCA's and, yeah. and places like that. So for writers who aspiring writers who maybe aren't living in New York City, because I know that that's you can if you want to do some digging, you can find these great classes and they're available all over the place in New York City especially. But for an aspiring writer who might not live in a, a big city like that, what would your advice be to them from a writer's standpoint? Um, well, there are classes everywhere. I used yeah. to live for one year in Columbus, Ohio and for three years in Evanston. Mm-hmm. And in both of those lovely Midwestern places, I joined uh, writing groups and writing circles and places where people would show their work to each other and read it out loud. Mm-hmm. You really need feedback. Now, I have writer friends who don't believe in feedback as much as I do, but I, I'm, I have to argue with them and say, look, I am your friend. You know I'm going to buy the book. Give, let me read the book ahead of time with the pencil because I love to edit, uh-huh. and you're not going to be offended. You're going to be grateful. And finally, it's almost like arm wrestling for some people. For me, I love the feedback. So yeah. whether you live in New York and by the way in New York yes there are positives as you said you also get so intimidated a little bit because there's so many you know the great writers there they are but I whenever an author is publishing promoting a book they might come to your local uh, independent bookstore Barnes and Noble whatever store and speak Mm -hmm. well go to those I still go to those first of all it's free yes it's always inspiring Mm -hmm. writers like when you ask them questions sort of about the writing process and um, for anybody, it's not just writing, it's it's rewriting. You know, so much of, first you have the vision, then you get it down, then you got to do the re- revision, yeah. you know. And there are lots of books from Bird by Bird to The Butterfly Hour that, that help with writing. But you have to find your your people. So I will not start with my husband, who will be a little too critical. Sure. I'll start with his mother, who will say, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> She's like 92 and she just loves whatever I write, no matter what raw shape it's in. Oh my God, that's so funny. So that's really, uh, you know, so so find your helpful but smart people. And then when you keep getting it better yourself, 
all the way till you get to your librarian. Mm-hmm. I have librarians read my work. Absolutely. I have school, fourth grade teachers read the work, and usually they're kind of honored. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of saying, I don't have time for this, they're kind of glad to be oh, yeah. part of the process, mm-hmm. put them in the acknowledgments. So keep at it. Really, a lot of writing is, and not everybody should be a writer. It's a lonely mm-hmm. life, and it's a lot of frustration, rejection, yeah. others. But if you want to be a writer or an artist or a musician, then you're really going to have to keep at it, and and you have to enjoy it too. You you know if it's if it's so tortured that you're hating it, then don't do it. You yeah. know. And so you you mentioned this a few times, but you come from a family of writers, both your parents were writers. So what was that like? I'm picturing a house with like the most beautiful home library in the world, or like a beautiful office that they wrote in. So what was it like having both of your parents be in the literary world? Um. Well, you know, there wasn't actually an office at all. I'm thinking back on my house, and because my mom and my dad both commuted from Armonk to New York City to their uh, writing, editing jobs. But there were definitely lots of books. Yes. And um, we just grew up with books. And for a long time ago, when there was a cigarette ad, Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. Yeah. And... My parents were just so upset. Like, why are you so upset? Because it's supposed to be as a cigarette should. And then the whole country started talking about that. Yeah. Do you remember that? That's it so was funny. maybe get rid of the cigarette thing. Oh, since no, you can, no you know. worries. That's okay. But okay, let's see. My parents. Um, <laughs> I, you know, <clears throat> my dad. Once I I got my start with Seventeen magazine, mm-hmm. and I decided I was going to write for them. So I guess I told my dad in the kitchen, you know, I think I'm going to go write an article for Seventeen magazine. And he said, he he definitely believed in me, but he sort of looked at me and said, you're really going to just go upstairs and write an article for Seventeen magazine? He said a little bit like, really? Yeah. And But that ended up galvanizing me a little bit. So in some ways, parents should always believe in their kids and encourage their kids. and But... Having having my beloved parents say that's kind of a high bar yeah. made me run upstairs uh-huh. and Get type out that magazine. Yeah. yeah, and then they took that article. So for a hundred dollars, they bought this article that was um, "Do Women Spoil Men?" That was the question, and I said yes, they do. And <laughs> and they bought it, and suddenly I was, you know, nationally published author, and it right. just felt good. But it's a lot of baby steps. I wrote a lot for Seventeen and Glamour and. Uh, brides and yeah, parents and Redbook and I judged picture books for Redbook, which was a really fun gig for yeah. about four years. And then and then advice books and then realized, okay, I want to write novels. <laughs> and that's when Ava and Pip and yeah. and uh, and Speed of Life started to happen. And so speaking of Ava and Pip being uh, children's books, and you're mentioning that there are a lot of books in your house when growing up. Do you remember some of the stories that you would read as a kid? Oh, I would read Aesop's fables over and over and over. That was that was sort of my Bible. And uh-huh. there's a lot of right and wrong and, uh, you know, yeah, ethics yes, and, <laughs> and uh, things to talk about. Uh-huh. Actually, so I gave Ava, my my little 10-year-old word nerd character, uh-huh. um, she loves Aesop fables. And she weaves them into those three books, too. Right. So I read a lot of kind of fairy tale, tales and Aesop fables. I read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when I was... Um, in sixth grade, which uh-huh. is a little late, but that's when I read that whole book and thought, that was such a good book. Are there more books like this yeah. in the world? And suddenly that was my, you know, mm-hmm. the door flew open. Absolutely. I, James and the Giant Peach is my, <laughs> like my role doll. I just, I was obsessed with it. So I'm right there with you. Um, all right. When you're not 
writing and providing advice? How do you like to kind of spend your minimal free time, I imagine? Um, I really like art museums, and I am lucky that I live in New York City. So I find art museums so calming, mm-hmm. uh, such serenity, such inspiration. When you think that we writers spend, you know, years writing books, and then you readers spend hours or days, maybe even weeks, reading the book. But you can go straight up to a masterpiece and, you know, in five minutes you can kind of get so much from it or yeah. one minute or and I just think it's so, almost such a generous thing that museums do for people so I, I happen to love art museums I'm working on something about Velasquez now it's still very much uh, you know sure. only on yeah. my desk Understood. but yeah. it's it's been fun to work on so I, I have had an extra reason to deep you know, going to that. I mean, I like to. I like to walk. Yeah, I like to walk. Well, you're in a good state doing that. <laughs> Do you have a favorite art museum in New York City? I love MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art. I, I'm obsessed with. Uh, MoMA's that's a good obsession. Yeah, I love the Frick. If I'm talking to people who don't know where to begin, mm-hmm. because you can go to the Frick and you can, you know, in like one hour. In fact, you can start with a little movie yeah. about Mr. Frick. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can see his whole collection very quickly. Whereas at MoMA or the Met, I love the Met, mm-hmm. you get a little, you might get a little overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, Morgan Library, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, for book people, Absolutely. for readers, yeah. for writers, for librarians. The Morgan Library, you feel like you walked into Beauty and the Beast yeah. and were, were given yeah. a library. I, uh, I was fortunate enough a few years ago with Overdrive, we went to Washington, D.C. And there was a gala at the Library of Congress. And one of the reading rooms in there, same thing, I was like, overwhelmed with how beautiful it was. I, I could walk into museums and libraries all the time. So I, we are kindred spirits there, I think. <laughs> um, all right, towards the end of our podcast, we like to ask nine, we call them rapid fire questions, but they never end up being rapid fire because I get chatty. Uh, we call them the nerd nine. Because nerd I, nine, I, I love I, it. I like alliteration. Um, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished? Uh, the Best Man by Richard Peck. I finished on the airplane coming down. I started my Antonia. Perfect. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Oh, I've got the nicest sofa at home, and it, there's a lamp behind it, and I've got an old cat. Mm-hmm. And if I read, little old Mike comes and sits right behind me, and it's mighty cozy. That is adorable. <laughs> uh, do you have a guilty pleasure? I tell everyone, like, mine is my obsession with the pictures I take of my dogs. Like, I, I take way too many pictures, so that's my personal guilty pleasure. Uh, well, dark chocolate, that's not very original. I probably tweet a little more than... I should, but it's almost you take a picture of your cat and then you got to share it. You show the world. Yeah. Um, what's one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Oh man, um, uh, uh, you know what? So Sicily was really on my bucket list, and I, I took all these Italian lessons because I was gonna mm-hmm. get there and speak it. And then I I went for for a birthday recently. So you know, someday I'm getting to Norway. My go. gosh, I'm going to Norway. Uh, do you have a favorite holiday? Um, Thanksgiving, not very original, but That's Thanksgiving's okay. pretty delicious. Absolutely. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, no, I'm so unoriginal. I want to say Gone with the Wind, and I haven't okay. even seen it in a long time. My co-host, that's her favorite <laughs> book ever, so oh, really? she would approve of that. Okay, that okay, is. then we'll leave that one right okay. there. Uh, I, you kind oh, of Casablanca, did. sorry. Gotta no, also say perfect. Casablanca. Okay. Um, I know this answer because you already said it, but cats or dogs? Uh, cats. I yeah. grew up with cats, dogs, okay. and chickens. Um, and then you kind of mentioned this too, but favorite food? Would that be dark chocolate or would you have a different one? No, I can't say dark chocolate's my absolute <laughs> favorite food. But then again, what would my favorite food be? Oh, man. Um, coffee chip ice cream with dark Ooh, chocolate chips. Sounds delicious. Uh, and then if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? 
My dad. That's a really good answer. Um, the last question is, what do you hope readers really of any age take away from reading Speed of Life? Um, you know, Speed of Life is written, it's one year. Mm -hmm. So it's 12 chapters. Each chapter is a month. And I think I want readers to take away that even though, yes, it's about grief in some ways, it's also about first love and step families. And I, I just want anybody who's undergoing um, something terrible to know that in one year, your life can be in such a different place. Maybe it'll happen far more quickly. Yeah. But I really almost wanted in, you know, slowish motion to show this kid went from feeling kind of dead inside her, herself to, you know, to ready, to she's ready. I think that's a perfect answer. This book is so, so good. Carol, thank you so much for joining us Oh, today. thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.